0: episode is airing on Tuesday, July 27th, 2021. Hello, everyone. It's Shannon back with you again to talk about more fabulous book releases. But before we do that, I am really excited to share another interview with you today. This is one that Stacy and I did with author Virginia Cantra, A couple of months ago and Cantra has written a ton of women's fiction and contemporary romances but we are focusing in on her 2021 release which is Beth and Amy a sequel to Meg and Joe and if you can't tell from the titles these are reimaginings of little women in modern day and This was such an insightful interview, so I hope that you love it as much as we enjoy doing it. So let's get right into the housekeeping information, and then we will let you hear the interview followed by more great book talk. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro podcast. This is Shannon, and I have Stacy with me today. And we are chatting with author Virginia Cantra about her latest novel, which is the second in her retelling of Little Women. So this is Beth and Amy, and it publishes in the U.S. on May 25th. Virginia, welcome to Book Bistro, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Shannon and Stacey,
1: for having me. This is
0: great fun. We are very excited. <laughs> so can you start off with a little bit of an introduction for our listeners? Um, you can either talk about like Meg and Joe and then kind of move into Beth and Amy, or you can focus just on Beth and Amy, whichever works best for you.
1: I'm happy to, to talk about both books because little women is a story right and yes, and yes and you can't separate the sisters too much no. um, so it's 152 years old it's never been out of print i think i read it for the first time when i was about 10. my grandmother gave my sister and me a copy uh and I loved it. I liked it because I wanted to go live with the March sisters. They always (laughs) seemed to be doing really exciting things. You know, they wrote a newspaper and they acted in plays and they went to parties and they got into trouble at school and I was doing all those things. So I wanted them to adopt me. But interestingly, when I read the book in college, And then I read it as a young mother with three children under the age of five. Uh, And then I read it, well period, I mean, I just have reread this novel all my life. And different parts of the story started to swim to the front for me. And I started reacting with the story very differently and I was really taken with the idea of telling the story in a way that reflected my more grown up perspective. Um, and so initially I thought, Megan Joe, right? Who doesn't want to be Joe? There's not a writer on right? the planet. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. <laughs> or, or, or a woman with gumption who wants to make friends with the boy next door. I mean, everybody wants to be Joe but when you get into the book and you start reading the second half because the original little women was published in two volumes uh and it was published as little women and good wives yes and you st- as and in the UK it's still published in two volumes i think um and it, there's a 3 year gap between the two well there is actually a 3 about a 3 year gap between Megan, Joe, and Mm -hmm. Beth and Amy, because you want, I wanted to grow the characters up. Uh, I think that in contemporary times, you know, we're not all going, some of us are, but not all of us are going to work at 15. Um, I think women have options and our contemporary coming of age, the time when we're really finding and defining ourselves is in the 20s. So to tell the story of the March sisters in their 20s as they seek to figure out who they are separate from their parents and their family made a lot of sense to me. So I focused on Meg and Joe uh, in in Meg and Joe, and I was desperate for ways to keep the family together and yet get Beth and Amy off scene. Right. Um, so that I could tell their story more fully in Beth and Amy. And I had a reviewer on Goodreads go, well, Virginia Cantra has taken the most hated March sister and the most boring one who dies and given them the the best storylines. And that made me feel so good because as I was learning about Beth and Amy, They were the two characters that I started identifying with the least, and then I found I had possibly the most in common with, and that was very exciting. Um, Everybody knows Amy because she burns her sister's manuscript.
0: Yeah, oh yes, she does.
1: (laughs) (laughs) She steals her trip to Europe and she finally poaches her boyfriend. So a lot of us have had my, certainly I did not forgive her for that for years. So it was really interesting for me looking at her as a younger sister and what that meant. Um, And what I realized is that she wants to be loved. She wants to be appreciated. She wants to be seen. Louisa May Alcott had a younger sister, who was an artist, and uh, who is the the painter uh, May Neriker Al- uh, Alcott, or May Alcott Neriker, um, and she was she was actually pretty brilliant. With her sisters, with Louisa's financial support, she did study in Paris. She had shows accepted into the very prestigious um, Paris Salon. Um, She actually was a teacher of the sculptor David French, who most people know as the guy who who made the Lincoln Memorial. Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay, so Louisa May Alcott had a talented younger sister who was an artist, who also who chose to marry, unlike Louisa, late in life um, to a man, to a, to a British gentry who fully supported her ambitions. Uh, I'm sorry to say that like many women of the time, she died rather tragically of, of complications after childbirth. Um, but it was interesting to look at the story of Little Women where Jo is always the narrator and the interpreter and the star. And writers always think, you know, there's one, there's a line that we use when we're talking about villains and where we go, everyone is the hero of their own story. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I went, what does this story look like from Amy's point of view? And once I did that, Once I started looking at what it must feel like to grow up in the shadow of two very accomplished sisters who seem to be so sure of who they are and what they want, who are generally loved and admired and appreciated, and you are always trailing behind and trying to prove yourself. And how much more complicated that becomes if you fell in love at 11 years old with the twinkly vampire of the 1800s, (laughs) you know, (laughs) who happens to be carrying a major torch for your sister.
0: So- Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah.
1: So Amy's story starts looking really different when you tell it from Amy's point of view. And it was fun for me to sort of access my own. Are you guys sisters? Do, like, do you have sisters or are, where are you in? the? I'm a twin. Over?
2: So I, I definitely have a very close, close bond with my sister. Oh, that's yeah. lovely.
1: Yeah. So I'm looking at that, that, that line between sisterly love, that bond and sibling rivalry. Mm-hmm. Um, I have an older sister and. Apparently my first words, according to our mother, were me too.
2: Just like Amy. Yes.
1: <laughs> well, one of the one of the challenges when you tell a retelling, especially when it's a story that's as beloved as little women, is that this the story which was so incredibly emotionally evocative for me and carries all my memories and experience of of reading the story, you know, like like lying on my wrinkled cotton bedspread on in my childhood bedroom or hearing some of it in my mother's voice um, or watching the movies because <clears throat> I've seen all the movies um, One of the challenges of that is that as you bring your own emotions and experience of reading the story or seeing the story on screen there's there are readers who have their own emotions and experience attached to the story
0: it's true and
1: they have their own expectations there is of course a huge school who think that joe and Lori should end up together um and There's really nothing you can do about that when you're writing your own book, when you're doing your own reimagining of a story like that. You can only be true to yourself. Um, And I did do a lot of research into Louisa May Alcott's life. Um, I talked about her sister, May. She also had her sister, Lizzie, who died young. And I'd love to chat a little bit about that in terms of the Beth storyline. But you can't... So you want to be respectful of the text. You want to be respectful of these characters that another writer created that are iconic and loved and, and wonderful. And you, I wanted to respect those creations. But just as Louisa May Alcott drew on her own life to create those characters, I wanted to draw on my life in terms of
0: reimagining them for the 21st century. So as you kind of sat down to do that, were there sort of key points or or just like plot lines in Little Women that you knew needed to stay even if you changed them some and sort of, you know, move them forward in time? Absolutely. Um, each
1: each character I think has what were for me iconic scenes? I can I can run through all four of them, or I can just stick to Beth and Amy. Um, so so Meg, it's getting dressed for the gardener's party. Mm-hmm. Ah yes, where she drinks too much, <laughs> and, <laughs> and conflict ensues. Um, Indeed, and also that I think was a wonderful place to bring forward the person who kind of both comes to her rescue and chides her a little bit is in in the original Little Women is is Lori Mm -hmm. who in my book is Trey because if you are a I I live in the contemporary in contemporary North Carolina and a modern in a in, in any modern school in North Carolina a boy with the name of Lori was not going to do well
0: no, no that that wouldn't work out so well for him. No, so we went
1: with with Theodore James Lawrence the Third, which and Trey is a common nickname down here, so I thought that'll work um so i i I wanted that, and then there's that scene where she tries to make there are two scenes for meg two other scenes for Meg where she tries to make jam and where her husband shows up unexpectedly with a guest for dinner. Oh,
0: that's right.
1: That's in Megan Joe. Yes. So is, so is the scene where they're struggling to get the kid, the her son the the children to bed and she learns to depend a little bit more on her husband. Those are all in Little Women. Did I remember those when I or did I even really notice them when I read it at 10 or even at 20? I don't think I did. Uh but as a young as as a wife and as a mother, those really resonated with me. Joe, oh, there are so many for Joe. Um, <laughs> so many. <laughs> so many for Joe. I knew she needed to cut her hair. Right? Um, that's iconic, a, yes. iconic, yes. Iconic, right? Um, I knew she needed to say no to Trey. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And I knew there needed to be a way in which, for an independent woman seeking what Louisa May Alcott called a marriage of equals, there still needed to be a way where she was challenged by an older male figure she respected about her writing. Yes. and. I had to find a way that felt true to that original and yet true to my independent Joe. So those were, those were things I knew I needed in, in that book. In Beth and Amy, how to talk about Beth without
0: spoilers.
2: Right? <laughs> We were just talking about that yesterday. Yeah. And
0: and actually, you know, I I feel like the thing that you chose to do with Beth, I feel like was a really, a really key point for her and something that I'm not sure, like, should be considered a spoiler.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, well, the public, I, I, we can talk about it. I think because um, warning to anyone who's listening who doesn't want to hear like the next few minutes are up all about this. On the other hand, Publishers Weekly put it all right out there in the review. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so fine. Um, that was a real struggle for me because I was working with my original thought was that she was going to be agoraphobic and then i needed to get her offset for most of Megan and joe so it's like well she can't never leave the farm because i need her to not be here right um, and so we know she's musical this is going back to those iconic scenes right what do we need we need mr lawrence gives her the piano piano like in this case, yes the guitar. <laughs> um, we need that at some point joe takes her to the beach you can't write that book without that
0: oh no no you can't
1: um and and there are some really and there is dialogue for all four of the sisters that I and for Marmy, who is was Louise based on Louisa May Alcott's mother Abba who I refer to as Abby yes Um, right okay so I needed, I needed that. Um, I sort of want to stick to Beth, but now I'm dying to talk about the Elder Alcotts, but I, and the marches. But I'm, I'm going to wait. Uh, so, so I try to be focused. Beth. <laughs> um, okay, so Beth, Beth was a challenge. I thought she was agoraphobic, and I'm sorry, but she's kind of the good dead girl, right? Right. Absolutely. Uh, and that's because she is based on both Louisa May Alcott's own sister, Lizzie, who died. Um, But there is a staple in Victorian literature of the good dead girl. Think the little match girl. Think, you know, this is because the danger to little women, uh, and, and I use that not in terms of the book, but of young women growing up, adolescent girls, they died in childhood. They died in childbirth there were dangers to being female in the 19th century. Yes. Well, there are dangers to being female in the 21st century. So I was trying to think what relates, what's life-threatening, what fits her personality. So I was working with the whole anxiety issue, and I'm writing the book, and I'm writing the book, and Beth is drifting in and out of focus. She is partly based on, there was a poem published in 1848 by a guy named Coventry Patmore, and it was, if there had been memes in the 19th century, this would have been a meme. It was everywhere, and it is almost certain that Louisa May Alcott, not only knew this poem, but referenced this poem in the, in Little Women. It was called "The Angel in the House,"
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it was based on Coventry Patmore's, an idealization of his own wife. And it was this kind of sickening. I know I shouldn't say that. <laughs> it was this. It was it was a representation of the ideal Victorian woman. That pure self-sacrificing soul, who animated the domain. She was like a domestic, a, a Christian domestic goddess,
0: which is, and, in a lot of ways, how we see Beth in right in Little Women. Right. So I
1: tried then to go, okay, perfect women. What does perfect womanhood look like in the 21st century what kind of stressors does that put on young women but i'm still not getting it okay so i'm i'm writing Beth. she is because of her musical talent she was plucked from the chorus of a branson christmas show by her superstar country bad boy boyfriend and she's performing and I'm halfway through the book and I'm dealing with her throwing up backstage and I'm dealing with her being anxious and going through imposter syndrome. And I'm trying, and I'm, but I'm not really relating to her. And I'm halfway through the book and I am no, I'm not going to make my deadline at this point. And all of Amy's, all of Amy's chapters are singing. They're swimming. That book started with the first line in Amy's point of view, which is, it's always a mistake to sleep with a man who's in love with your sister, with your sister,
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, even in Harris,
1: yes. right? I mean, so Amy had a voice. I never really struggled to find Amy's voice. Beth, as you might imagine from somebody who's into self-erasure, um, was a little harder for me to, and these books are in first person, so they're very intimate. And I was really struggling. And I, I, I have to then at some point confess to my editor, this book's going to be late. Um, and, I'm, and I'm spending days, you know, kind of wandering around, muttering to myself, wondering why I can't get into Beth. And I took a step back and I looked at the scenes I had written. The throwing up, the imposter syndrome, yeah. the feeling of not being perfect enough. The feeling of not being good enough. The fact that I noticed she was always like serving other people and not so much herself. Mm -hmm. And then I got this really sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. And I thought, oh, I know that girl because I was that girl. And my husband too. Were you... Yeah. So my husband came home and I said, honey, okay, spoiler, right? Yep. Beth has an eating disorder. And he looked at me, this wonderful man I've been together with since I was 19 years old. And he said, and I said, tell me you hate it. You know, because he's my first reader. And, uh. And he said, no. He says, that sounds right. He says, but you have to go there. So. Hello, Shannon, Stacey and Book Bistro podcast. (laughs) And it (laughs) was it was it was the first time I let myself go there. So, yeah, the book and the book is dedicated to my daughter because Because I, I, when you, it, that kind of thing shapes you. It's true.
0: I really loved, you know, not in a, in a creepy way, but I was really pleased to see that struggle get such sensitive exposure on the page. You know, often mental health is sort of a a plot device. Um, It's used sort of to to shock and you know to be this this thing that is like the the guilty secret and although beth in a lot of ways was keeping this a secret from her family i never felt that it was done in a way that like exploited the condition and i really really appreciated that
1: that means so much to me thank you so i mean thank you so much thank you um i i really <laughs> I really wanted to get it right. I had not, to be honest, uh, done a whole lot of research. <laughs> um, ah. before I did this book, I, I was really um <clears throat> channeling a lot of inner feelings, um, and then but I did want I think writers well i think I think my writers of women's fiction um Oh, never mind. I'm not going to make generalities.
2: I feel sometimes,
1: <laughs> I feel sometimes like, I feel sometimes like a doctor, like I had an, like I, I wanted to have this oath, do no harm. So I didn't want reading Beth about Beth to do harm. Hmm. So after I had written a lot of her scenes, Um, I did. And especially as I was studying treatment, because I never went into treatment. Um, I, I did a lot of reading about, you know, positive, healthy things. And, and, Mm -hmm. and one of the things I did, for example, in the edits, is I took out all the numbers. Ah, yes. Um, For someone who has body dysmorphia, um, numbers can be incredibly triggering because they're a standard by which to measure yourself. Yes, numbers are often not kind. Right. Every ounce, every... Or they can be terrible because, God forbid somebody be reading about Beth and going, oh, she's... You know, eating X calories. Well, that means I need to eat that many calories or fewer, uh-huh. calories fewer. yeah, or, uh-huh. you know, so so you'll notice I don't her her family talks about her. Um, her mother says you're nothing but skin and bones. And Aunt Fee says you can never be too rich or too thin. Ah, yeah. Yes. But I never tell you how thin she actually is. Right. You know, I never say. And the cir- and there's there's again. I don't want to do spoilers, but but Beth, of course, is very concerned with numbers. I mm-hmm. and so I've had to find a way to talk about that without actually using numbers. Yes. Um, except when she's like looking at the calorie counts in yogurt or baby teething crackers.
0: Sure. So I want to jump ahead a bit because we are um, running short on time, but I wanted to ask you now that this sort of two book series is in the world, like what, what is next for you?
1: So I'm writing another, I've taken another story that meant quite a lot to me (gasps) as a
2: child. Oh, (laughs) I wonder what it is.
1: I'm I'm afraid to jinx it because my editor hasn't seen it yet. (laughs) Oh. I am, I am, I have, but it's, and it's, and I think this one is, I hope this one is, 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 well, I don't want to make it sound like Beth and Amy is a big downer because I think there's a lot of things that are funny and funny. Oh no, it's a beautiful book. It's not, it is. It really is. Thank you. I mean, because there's, there's, because I still want to go live with the marches, right? Um, We do too. (laughs) (laughs) But I have picked a book where the heroine never does grow up. Um, And I have, and I have, and she's now in graduate school at Trinity College in Dublin. Um, And I'm having so much fun with this. It's, it's, it is about finding yourself. It's about finding your people in the world. um, And it's about making your family and figuring out what's important to you. So in a, in a lot of ways, I think it's gonna go s- explore some of the same themes, but it's with a, a very different character. And I'm delighted to say she doesn't shut up.
2: Ah, well, so, we are excited to figure out what this is when yes, you're able to share. <laughs>
1: Thank you. Wish me luck. Um, oh, but best of luck. I, I, I have sent it to my agent and my agent loved it and basically sent it back with the word more. So I ah. I have, I'm, I'm going to try to get in knock out another couple of chapters and then, then we'll see where we are.
2: So I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued as well. Um, and I just want to say before we get too far from um, all of the uh, Meg and Joe and Beth and Amy, just how much I appreciate what you did with this family and how you were able to put them in a contemporary setting without it feeling contrived. And I have now read Meg and Joe twice. I read it, of course, the day it came out. And then I read it again because during the pandemic, I read like 7,000 books. So I wanted to make (laughs) sure I hadn't forgotten anything. And I have to tell you, both times I read just, just the prologue had me in like amazing sentimental tears because my twin and I used to go, oh, Christmas won't be Christmas without any presents. Like, you know, be very dramatic. (laughs) And the whole thing, like just feeling that moment of the beginning of Little Women, but brought forward in time so expertly. Like I just really- Yes. And the whole, like both of those books felt like that to me. Just, it did not feel like a stale retelling. It was like, you could recognize like bits and pieces of dialogue and moments that were like friends to you from reading it so many times, but yet in this fresh, wonderful way. And I just really want to thank you for how you did that, because those books are just really, both of them are very special in different ways. And I love, I mean, I love how you did a contemporary um, love interest for Joe uh, with some diversity. I love just, I love everything about what you did. And I just hope that- Yeah, I just want everyone to go out and read both of these books because they are so, so wonderful, truly. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that that is so kind of you. I will say that
1: the prologue, in both cases, I I started the book and it's the only scenes in the book that are in third person. In both cases, I did start with a reimagined scene from Little Women. Mm -hmm, There's a scene in uh, the original where the four girls and Laurie go up on a hill. And they build castles in the air.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yes. And so, and it's that moment when they're poised right before adulthood. And they think of their dreams. And I used to go to the beach all the time, both as a child and also with my children. And we would not build castles in the air. We would build sand castles. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So that was, that, was, that was a super fun way to do it. And I did take some heat for the portrayal of Mr. March. Uh,
2: Ah, yes. We did not really get an opportunity to talk about that. So very briefly, I wanted to thank you and just say we, um, just talking with with Shannon and with other people on Book Bistro, we really appreciate how you gave the parents actual, you, you drew them as if they were people, not just parental figures with their own, you know, strengths and and foibles. And, you know, we, we both love that Abby got her own moments. Right. Like we got to see
0: her. Yes. In a way that you you don't in Little Women.
1: Okay. But there is that moment, that moment when she says, Joe, I have been angry nearly every day of my life. Yes. Yes. That's right from Little Women. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, Mr. March is based on Louise's own father, Bronson Alcott, who was a weird mm-hmm. transcendentalist philosopher and educator and former and way ahead of his time in terms of racial justice. And he was a horrible provider.
2: Oh, oh I did not know that. <laughs> Isn't that <lovely>? Yes. <laughs>
1: um, he, poor Abby finally took their Four children and had to go live with her brother she took in laundry because oh he was so into she was so into his ideals I mean he, t- he took them out to Fruitlands and they nearly starved that winter because he was into some sort of communal living and we're going to live off the land poor Thoreau and Emerson kept slipping him money oh So the version that we see of of Bronson Alcott in Little Women is a highly sanitized version. Yes. Um, Louisa provided financially for her father all of their lives. Wow. And I thought, all righty then. (laughs) Let me see if I can tell the way the story, the way that might actually look yeah so i did
0: well we loved it We did. thank you can you but he did listeners... get... oh sorry yes sorry but we but but i
1: want to say he he does there are character arcs for everybody i want everybody yes, to are. have as happy an ending as they possibly can deserve
2: even if it might be off the page <laughs> even if <laughs> yes even if you're hoping and hoping after the ending of the book for something to develop, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> <laughs> can you let listeners know
0: the best place that they can find you online? Um, well, of course, there's my website,
1: VirginiaCantra dot com. But I hang out quite a bit on Facebook, so Virginia Cantra Books, and uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm I'm really starting to love Instagram. So it's Virginia Cantra on Instagram. Um, Perfect. I, I have a Twitter account, but I can't say I am nearly as active there.
0: Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking time so close to your release date to chat with us, not only about Beth and Amy, but sort of just about your inspiration in reimagining this book.
1: It has been a pleasure. I'm so happy that you liked it. And I hope that that it inspires readers. I mean, I'd, I'd love them to pick up my book but i hope it inspires them to go back to little women with fresh eyes.
0: Oh, i hope so too. I hope so too because little women I, there's just not enough that i can say about little women and all that it it stands for in the lives of of young women and young readers. Yeah,
1: i mean I these just don't are have fem- words for that. These are iconic female characters and They belong to us, right? These are American women. It's true. And I think that they are models for how we navigate the path to becoming our best selves. And they have been with me on every step of my journey. I am now, I now am Abby. Maybe that's why she got her voice in this book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But... Except that my husband is like so much better. Um, (laughs) Well,
2: that's good. (laughs) Thank goodness.
1: (laughs) But I, but I hope, I hope people find themselves in, in each of the girls because that's, that's who we are.
0: Well, thank you so, so much for this. It has been been a pleasure pleasure. learning um, a little bit about you and just this incredible process.
1: It's, it's been a joy, and thank you so very much for inviting me on.
0: You're welcome. All right. So it's time for new books. Today is a very good day in book bistro land, especially if you are Stacy or Sarah or Kristen, because the new J.R. Ward book is out today. This is claimed lair of the Woven book 1 by you guessed it J R Ward. This is a new spin-off for her of her Black Dagger Brotherhood series and Stacey talked about it on our most anticipated releases of July episode. As far as other books that we've previously mentioned Natalia talked about What's Left Unsaid by Emily Bleeker this is women's fiction, kind of crossed with a bit of a thriller. I mentioned The Women's March, which is historical fiction by Jennifer Chiaverini, And Brooke is looking forward to the latest Dorinda Jones, which is A Good Day for Chardonnay. Sunshine Vikram, book two. And now let's talk about new books that we haven't talked about before i'm going to start with some mysteries thrillers things like that we are starting out with just one look by lindy cameron this is a story about obsession and apparently one woman's obsession with what she believes to be the perfect man sets her on a very dangerous path it's just one look and it's by lindy cameron We also have Unthinkable by Brad Parks. I know that Natalia has enjoyed some Brad Parks in the past. I think Kira has mentioned one of his books as well. But this one is about a man who could possibly, possibly save the world. I don't know from what or from who, but if you want to know, you'll have to pick it up. It's Unthinkable by Brad Parks. We also have the new Sherry LaPena out this week. This is not a happy family. I have really enjoyed the couple of times that I interviewed LaPena in both 2019 and 2020. And she has a new book out, More Domestic Suspense. If you haven't read her previous books, you should definitely do that. But her books are wonderful, wonderful standalones. This is Not a Happy Family by Sherry LaPena. Sarah Shepherd. You may know her best from the Pretty Little Liars series, but she has written a couple of books for adults as well. And her latest one is out today. This is Safe in My Arms. And it is set in a school where a principal is attacked. And there are these three moms who kind of feel like outcasts in the school community. And they are determined to figure out who attacked the principal this is safe in my arms and it's by sarah shepherd and if you love historical mysteries let's talk about a fiance's guide to first wives and murder countess of harley mystery book four by diane freeman um, I think the first book in this series was mentioned a couple of years ago on one of our monthly picks, but these are British historicals uh, set kind of in the like, British you know, high society, um, perhaps similar to Deanna Rayborn and Ali Huber. So this is A Fiancé's Guide to First Wives and Murder, Countess of Harley Mystery, Book 4 by Diane Freeman. All right. So let's talk about some historical fiction. Why not? All the Little Hopes. This is by Leah Weiss. You may remember her from If the Creek Don't Rise a couple of years ago, maybe even longer than that, maybe like 2017. But this looks at female friendship during World War II in the American South. And it is All the Little Hopes by Leah Weiss. Okay, this next book has been on my radar for about a year and a half now. (laughs) This is Three Words for Goodbye. It is by Hazel Gaynor and Heather Webb. I heard Hazel Gaynor in conversation with Heather Webb last fall for uh, When We Were Young and Brave. And I've just, I've loved so many of her books. And it was just really amazing to hear them speak. Gaynor has written marvelous things on her own, but equally marvelous things with Heather Webb. And that's what we have this year. So we have Three Cities, Two Sisters, One Chance to Correct the Past. If he could edit out those couple of mistakes, Hume, I would appreciate it. This is. Three Words for Goodbye by Hazel Gaynor and Heather Webb. Read them. Read them separately. Read them together. Just read them all. All right. So let's stay here with the historicals. But move now to sort of more historical romance, because there are some good historical romance books out today. So, Not the Kind of Earl You Marry. This is Unconventional Ladies of Mayfair, book one, by Kate Pembroke. This is a fake relationship story. If you heard our episode this past Friday, you know that many of the beastresses love fake relationship romances, and there is another one now featuring a wallflower who becomes hmm, fake engaged to one of the most sought-after bachelors in society. It is Not the Kind of Earl You Marry, Unconventional Ladies of Mayfair, book one by Kate Pembroke. Sophie Jordan has a new series. This is the first book. It's called The Duke Goes Down, Duke Hunt, book one. And Sophie Jordan is one of these authors who writes in all sorts of subgenres of romance. She's written some new adult. She's written some like motorcycle club contemporaries. She's done historicals. She's even done some young adult, like post-apocalyptic books. But this is a historical, so if you love sort of the the glitz and glamour of London society, you might want to check it out. It is The Duke Goes Down, Duke Hunt, Book One by Sophie Jordan. And we have Devil in Disguise. This is Ravenel's Book Seven by Lisa Claypush. I am a terrible terrible romance reader like someone needs to come and take away my membership to like whatever romance reading clubs are out there because i have never read Elisa lisa Kleepa's book never ever and there's not really a reason um the beastresses are telling me all the time like i really need to pick one up and i always need to and i never do um her wallflower series her ravenel series her contemporary. There are just so many things that people love about Lisa Kleypas, and I have never read her. So if you're not like me, or I guess even if you are, and you don't mind reading books out of order, you could start with the one that's out today. This is Devil in Disguise. It's Ravenel's book seven by Lisa Kleypas. And how about if we have a couple of contemporary romances? First up is the man ban by Nicola Marsh. She is Australian, I believe. And she has written some really, really cool looking um, like women's fiction crossed with rom-com. And this is another one of those. It's about a woman who supposedly swears off dating. And I'm guessing that we all know that this does not go very well. It's The, ma- the Man Ban by Nicola Marsh. And... We have Heartbreak for Hire. This is by Sonia Hartel. I can't quite tell how to, like, how to categorize this. It's a rom-com, maybe. It's a little bit suspenseful. It's a little bit women's fiction-y. It's about a woman who works for this agency that is responsible for sort of getting revenge on men who break women's hearts. And then somehow the head of this company decides that they're going to start hiring men to do this to women and one of the men who is hired turns out to be one of the targets that our heroine had to uh, shall we say visit um, sometime before this story began it looks very very fun it's heartbreak for hire by sonia hartel and i'm going to talk briefly about one book here that is kind of, I don't know, women's fictiony, general fiction. I'm not really sure how you categorize this one either. This is The Second Season and it's by Emily Adrian. It's about a woman who has really longed to be a sportscaster. She wants to be the voice that you hear on the radio calling out everything that goes on in basketball games. Um, But she's forced to choose between motherhood and her dreams of working in the athletic industry. This is the second season by Emily Adrian. And I am rounding up today with a little bit of fantasy. Starting out for young adults, we have Gods and Monsters. This is Serpent and Dove, book three by Shelby Mahirin. Stacy talked about the first book in this series, Serpent and Dove, a couple of years ago. It is young adult fantasy, kind of set in an alternate, like medieval France, it's about witches and witch hunters. It's a series I've been excited about for quite a while. So this one is Gods and Monsters, Serpent and Dove, book three by Shelby Mahurin. And lastly, I want to talk about the new S. Usher Evans. This is Reclamation, Demon Fall, number three, and Evans is another one of these authors that I really need to read. She has done some urban fantasy, some sort of more like high fantasy, um, some science fiction. Her stuff has, in the past couple of years, become available in audio, which makes me very, very happy. It's not that I don't read ebooks, but I'm a little bit more likely to pick something up um, if it's in audio. So her stuff is on my very long list of things to try. But this is Reclamation Demon Fall Book 3 by S. Usher Evans. And that does it for me today. This is the last Tuesday in July, and there are so many books coming out the first week in August. I feel like I need to start compiling them all within the next couple of days so that I can actually winnow down the ones that we're going to talk about. But there are so many great ones. I hope that you have found several fantastic things to read today if you would like to leave us a rating or a review you can do that on apple podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show not only does it tell us what you think but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book related podcasts um, it kind of advances us in the google algorithm So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases, and some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.